Games rated RP to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we dive into some of the biggest indie games coming to Nintendo Switch and talk to the creative director of Supergiant Games about their epic new action game, Hades. My name is Chris Slate, and joining me today are Kristen Lynch from the Publisher and Developer Relations Team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Kristen. Hi. And Michael Grimm from the Social Media Team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Michael. Hey, Chris. And to discuss Hades, we are very happy to have Greg Kasavin, the creative director from Supergiant Games. Hi, Greg. Hey, how's it going? Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And, you know, a lot of people just saw the Indie World Showcase and learned that Hades is coming to Nintendo Switch. But many Nintendo Switch fans already know Supergiant from Transistor and Bastion, both of which have been available on Nintendo eShop for a couple of years now. So before we talk about Hades, first, I'd love to hear a little bit about the company and your approach to making games. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we've we been around a good amount of time now. We celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, last year. And uh, we, we say about Supergiant that we want to make games that spark your imagination like the games you played as a kid, which to us actually refers to a pretty specific uh, point in time. And I, I consider uh, kind of the 90s, um, the, the age of the Super Nintendo entertainment system, uh, kind of the golden age. That's my golden age. Um, so we, we make games that are kind of inspired by classic traditions, uh, but feel modern as well, have like a modern sensibility approaches to storytelling and things like that. We really look for, uh, interesting ways to intersect gameplay and storytelling. That's kind of at the center, um, of, of each of our games. And, um, we've made four games so far, including Hades, um, and, uh, starting with Bastion, and we've, we're quite small. We're a little independent studio uh, based in San Francisco. We were just seven people uh, on Bastion, and we grew to 12 uh, for our subsequent two games. And now we're, we're just shy of 20 people um, on Hades. So we, we like to kind of keep busy, and everybody gets to wear a lot of different hats, and we all feel like really invested in the games we make uh, by virtue of being uh, as small as we are. Um, and just kind of try to make games that are configured around the specific people we have working on our team, like um, Darren Korb, our, our really talented uh, music composer. Um, you know, if, if not for him, I don't know that we would be as kind of music forward with our games. Like the, the soundtracks of each of our games uh, play like a really significant role in the experience. And that's really thanks to Darren, just as an example. Or Gen Z, our art director, her, her, uh, the, like her particular art style, which actually changes from game to game, but is kind of unmistakable, I think, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I, it's just great to work with such talented people. And I think each of us just, you know, kind of looks up and gets inspired by the work happening around them. So we, we push ourselves to try to make these games that um, hopefully can leave a lasting and positive impression on people for, for a while after they're done playing. Well, they've certainly done that, and, and, it, and it sounds like that is very much the indie dream, right? That it's just a bunch of people who grew up loving games, and you finally get to make the kind of games that you love. And, and although each of your games, like you said, are, are quite different, there are certain common themes, certain kind of um, even um, you know, visual aesthetics, uh, perspective, the gameplay perspective, things like that. You can tell that there must have been a very specific type of experience that really kind of informed a lot of what you make today. 
Yeah, I I would I would say that for for sure, and um, it's it's funny our games uh, for the most part they they're in that kind of three quarters isometric uh, perspective. Um, that kind of has its roots in um, my, myself and uh, the two co-founders of Supergiant, Amir and Gavin. We met while uh, working at Electronic Arts on the on the Command and Conquer real time strategy game series, and these are games about you know like tanks and stuff. It's it's kind of like Advance Wars or something like that, except real time. Um, you know, tanks blowing each other up. So aesthetically very different from the kind of games we make now, but um, but they owe a little something to them, um, like from, from that particular vantage point that we use. And other than that, it's just, you know, it's impossible for us to trace uh, our influences in like a discreet way because it's just such a hodgepodge of all the different games and, and other media as well that, that like inspired us while growing up. And I think each of us, as individual creators brings our own like personal influences to bear. Like often we don't even, you know, we don't even talk about them. They're like that, that personal in some cases, wh whether it's the music or the, or the story or anything like that. So it's just trying to, again, kind of when we think of the sense of wonder that we experienced playing our favorite games in our formative years, you know, for me, it might be like final fantasy six or something on the super Nintendo or final fantasy, uh, what was then called final fantasy three. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to make that feeling occur for for other players uh, today, uh, that that we we can still remember that feeling now, and can can we invoke that feeling uh, for other people today, and that kind of sense of sense of wonder? That's kind of our our broad goal with the games we make. Well, that's a great goal to have, and you can certainly feel that in Supergiant Games. Thank you. Um, and speaking of Supergiant Games, let's get to Hades. Um, I thought this was one of the cooler looking games on the Indie World Showcase, and that's saying something because there was a lot of what I thought was very interesting stuff. And I'm sure Kristen knows all about this game, and Michael, I think you said you've been you played how many hours of this game on PC already? I think I'm like 35 in on the uh, early nice. access version. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's really, really, really sort of grabbed me in a way that I was, I mean, not totally expecting, but it is just really fun. Like, if you're into the kind of like roguelite... Uh, sort of gameplay loop at all. I think it really does that super well, but I think like Greg said too, it also manages to weave story into it into a way that like is pretty unusual for that kind of genre. Like if you're a big fan of Dead Cells or like Enter the Gungeon or those type of games, I feel like there's story there, but it's kind of in the background. This game really just has, it does a really awesome job of just weaving like all these little plot lines of these characters into each time you play through the game and it develops as you go. So even if you're not totally like gameplay focused, like there's a lot of fun story stuff there to dig into as well. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and um, you've kind of taken some elements from your previous titles and kind of melded them into Hades. Um, and I think, you know, going back to what Michael said about the storytelling, I think that you guys are are masters of that and, and uh, using, you know, music and voice acting um, and the building this, this, this world to really immerse the players. Um, and, and take them along for this journey. Um, what kind of, uh, when you were making Hades, did you think that you learned from the previous titles that you've made? Yeah, th uh, so th thanks for that. And for sure, this this was our game where we kind of more consciously built upon uh, stuff we've done in the past. Um, it, it requires a bit of context first, I guess, which is that like, you know, we've never we've never made a sequel to one of our games. Um, each Each of our games has been, quite different from the previous one uh almost to the point where we make our we make things unusually difficult for ourselves like uh, bastion our first game 
it kind of consisted of all of our best ideas, you know, that we've ever had. We just crammed them all into one game. And after that game came out and, and did well enough for us, we set out to make another game, which was called Transistor. Um, and with Transistor, we just like, you know, anything we did on Bastion, we can't do the same way on Transistor. We have to do things differently. So we're just kind of barring ourselves from using our own, you know, kind of perfectly good ideas. Sometimes it's things that we uh, felt we executed well and and really enjoyed doing, and we still, you know, prevent ourselves from from doing them. So when it came time to make Hades, we're like, wait, we've been doing this stuff for 10 years. We're like, really? We, we, why don't we actually take the best of what we've learned and and put it all together and once again it you know it it is a original game in a unique setting i think it feels very distinct from our previous games but it builds upon things like the um like the action the kind of moment to moment action of a game like bastion it's a very like action forward game uh compared to some of our um later games um and the the kind of atmosphere i think is closest to transistor where um, it has it has like a real mood to it that we we focus on a lot and try to make sure every little aesthetic element of the game uh, contributes to like a, a pretty specific mood, which turns out to be um, more kind of lighthearted than you might expect. Uh, we purposely, you know, it's called Hades and it's <laughs> about the underworld of Greek myth, and you expect it to be grim and dark, and some of that is there, but it but as it turns out, as you play, it's it's. Um, it's more lighthearted, it's more humorous than you might be expecting, which I think, and I think part of the surprise uh, works in favor of those aspects. And then um, it has a huge cast of characters. They're all fully voiced, and that owes uh, to our third game, Pyre, um, where we kind of explored having a big cast of characters for the first time and all these different interactions between them. And uh, we, we just so enjoyed developing a big cast of characters that we felt we had to do it again uh, with Hades. So uh, we really think it's the best of all the worlds that we've created in that way um, while still being something unique in its own right. And it really, um, we couldn't have done it if not for the experience of, of the, of the several games leading up to it. Yeah. And you had a, a lot of, lot to pull from it's uh it's based in Greek mythology. So that must've been fun to, to have so many different characters to play with. Yeah. It's, it's funny, even that aspect, um, all three of our previous games have been, original worlds they're kind of original ip we just made stuff up right and and then we put it together and people really uh we got great feedback on on those worlds and settings so kind of paradoxically the idea of doing an adaptation something based on an existing um mythology or, or lore um was was a was a bigger challenge for our team than just making something uh, entirely from scratch and in in some respects i actually see the you know similar to what i said before I think the previous games in some ways were like kind of training for this one where, um, you know, each of those games actually have their own kind of internal mythology to them with like actual, you know, gods or the equivalent or something like that. So it's all, uh, I saw it as all kind of preparation for now working with the real thing. Can we, can we actually kind of show due respect to this source material? And we felt we had a really particular point of view on it. And, you know, obviously Greek myth is well-trodden territory, not just for games, but for for all media. Um, so before going into this type of setting, we had to ask ourselves, do we have something meaningful to add to this kind of conversation here? And we felt our point of view on it, of looking at the Olympians um, as basically a big dysfunctional family, that that was uh, specific enough that we wanted to tell kind of like a family comedy drama uh, using these gods of Olympus and the underworld 
uh, as the central characters. And in particular, um, taking the point of view of the underworld rather than Olympus has been really, really fun because, you know, everybody knows Zeus and Athena and those kinds of names, but uh, but fewer people know these names like, you know, Hypnos and Thanatos, let alone Zagreus, our protagonist <laughs> character. Like, these are relatively unheard of names, but they're incredibly compelling characters in the source mythology. So they just seemed underexplored and, like, you know, we can have our Zeuses and our Athenas and stuff like that as as the kind of immediately accessible characters. But it's this great opportunity to introduce players to some of these, like, lesser known but equally compelling characters from Greek myth. I mean, yeah, to that point, like, just the way that the characters are fun and kind of framed in this game is really interesting. Because I think you can be like, oh, historical characters, I know what these are all about. But I don't know, the art for each character and God is, like, so fun. And then the characterizations I really enjoyed, especially the way that the gods in the game are kind of like fickle. They're kind of like on your side yeah. to a point, but like, you know that they're kind of like, eh, you know, it could go either way. While the sort of characters that are in the underworld are a bit more like sympathetic, you know, you've got like Sisyphus and everyone down there. And you know, what better character than Sisyphus for kind of roguelike yeah. game where you got to push that boulder up the hill every day. And, exactly. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, fun. It's been, it's been great having a uh, Sisyphus in, in our, in our game. Uh, Sisyphus, of course, one of those famous uh, characters from Greek myth in the underworld who's charged with, pushing a boulder eternally up a hill. And then once he gets it to the top, you know, he gets kind of whipped in the butt and the boulder <laughs> comes crashing back down and he has to start all over. Uh, so we have a particular point of view on that character. And he's been great to have uh, even since, you know, the game has been in early access development for a couple of years now. And there's something uh, Sisyphean about uh, early access uh, updating. Uh, so so I, I often think of Sisyphus uh, as we work, but, it, you know, our Sisyphus is, is quite happy, uh, it turns out, despite his predicament. So... Um, that that's you know hopefully one of the fun surprises in the characterizations and and I love that we have um, like a like a central character is Achilles uh, you know from from the Iliad the, the the kind of famous nearly immortal Greek warrior um, but everybody knows him as this nearly immortal Greek warrior but in our in our game you know he, this is after he's died so he's he's essentially the ghost of himself and he serves as the main character's personal trainer um, and and kind of like almost like a um, almost like an advisor. So it's been really fun to to portray Achilles that way. Um, and he's voiced by Logan Cunningham, who is our our principal voice actor. His voice is in, has been in every one of our games. And Logan plays multiple characters in the game, including Hades himself. And uh, I I just love his his voice work so much. And this game has tons and tons of it. So if you also like Logan's voice, there will be plenty of that to go around. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just the the level of dialogue in this game really surprised me because there's always something new happening. Like I'm, you know, 30 hours yeah. in and there's still all these plot lines and characters that are kind of like, you know, happening. And the thing that really got me too was like the context sensitivity for it where it's like, oh, I have yeah. this spear equipped. I just got back from this part and I just talked to this guy. And then you'll get some sort of extremely customized piece of dialogue for that. And I was wondering like, how did you guys plan all this out? Yeah, that's so that's been a... Um, I, I do the writing on the game as well as the kind of narrative design. So I implement all those little moments. Um, it's certainly been like one of the major focuses of, of my work on the on the project. Um, and our games have always, you know, since Bastion, it was all about the kind of reactive narration where as you play through Bastion, the narrator kind of will adapt aspects of the story based on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And each of our games has tried to kind of push this further or do different things with it. Um, up to and including Hades, where, yeah, there's just this massive, there's thousands of these different 
uh, individual story events that just look for all kinds of different specific context. So it starts with like the characters themselves of what would these characters actually be concerned about and would notice. So a character like Ares, the god of war, and we have a particular view on uh, Ares uh, as well, you know, he's very interested in how many enemies you're killing and what kind of weapons you're using. <laughs> it's kind of a kind bureaucrat. Of destruction. Well, he's he's more than a bureaucrat. He's uh, he he really he really really likes violence, but in kind of like a scientific way. So we we portray. Oh, Ares. As, sorry, I thought you said Hades. My bad. <laughs> oh yeah, Hades. We do have as as kind of like a uh, as like an overworked, uh, almost like a business manager. Uh, but um, and and we thought of that actually pretty specifically that the under you know from his point of view, the underworld really is a business that he has to keep running smoothly. You know, and he's he's bitter at the rest of the Olympians because they just deal with mortals for, you know, 40, 50 years until they die back then. Maybe it was probably even lower life ex expectancy, but he has to deal with all mortals until the end of time. Right. They, the, the Olympians deal with them for 50 years and now he's got them. <laughs> now he's stuck with them and he has to take care of them. He has to put them in the right parts of the underworld and make sure that their needs are provided for and all this stuff. So he's, uh, yeah, and he, he's still the antagonist of the game. Um, you know, the story is about trying to escape from him uh, for reasons that you discover, but you, you, you get that he's this kind of bitter, frustrated guy um, who, among his other problems, now has had like a, uh, now has had like a, uh, essentially like a breakup with his, his only son. Um, and his son is, you know, keeps trying to escape from his dad. It's like a screw you dad, I'm leaving type of situation, <laughs> except... Uh, you happen to be immortal, and every time you die, uh, die in quotation marks, you just wind up right back at home, and dad makes fun of you, says, you know, see, I told you you're just wasting your time, and then you get to try again and again and again and so on. But you're getting stronger each time. The story's advancing. It's been really fun, you know, you know from the story, just making a game with, like, story continuity when you die. So there's no—imagine it as, like, a game with no game over, it's just mm. every time you die, the, the game just responds to that. And it's, you know, when you get to a boss that killed you, they'll be like, dude, what you're back? Like, seriously, <laughs> I just I just worked you and you really think you're going to take me this time and that sort of thing. And that can go on, um, you know, the, again, as, as as Michael was saying, it can go on for a really long time because we want the game to be super replayable. And uh, and so the only way to have that with our story ambitions is, is simply to put a ton of story in there so that each time you play, um, it's, it's unique and the story just keeps unraveling in, in a u unique way. And we have players who've played for hundreds of hours and are still seeing uh, unique uh, story events and stuff uh, kind yeah. of on the regular. And I, I, I really appreciate that uh, you guys have, are going to have cross saves so that way Michael can just continue playing when he gets <laughs> it for the Nintendo Switch. That's pick right. Up where he left off. Yeah, that's definitely the, the goal because um, we, we have, you know, when we first started working on the game, our previous games, you know, they take maybe 10 hours or less, give or take, to complete. They're kind of a standard, if not shorter, game length. So this one, we're like, when we set out to make a replayable game, we imagine like, you know, if people play this game for 50 hours uh, and they're happy, that would be amazing. So it's way beyond our expectation that uh, people are like hundreds of hours deep and still enjoying it. That, that kind of, you know, speaks to the early access development process. And so with that much investment in their saves, we're like, we have to, uh, during early access, we've never reset people's saves at any point we've we've done the work to make sure that players can just keep going all the way through and we have some yeah some players who've been 
playing Hades pretty regularly since we launched in early access at the end of uh, 2018. So they're, you know, like over a year worth of gameplay uh, on their saves. So yeah, those are those are important to us to to preserve them um, to the extent players want to keep going on their uh, particular uh, save. Greg, we've, we've touched on this a few times in terms of the game being um, kind of a roguelike dungeon crawler, and you mentioned the, the kind of pattern of every time the main protagonist um, you know, meets an untimely end, they don't necessarily die, they just kind of you know, go back to a certain point in the game. Can you, maybe for people who aren't as familiar with those types of games, or maybe don't yet understand fully how those types of, of um, you know, kind of sensibilities are applied to this game specifically, what the game flow is, is like, and and what what progress really looks like in this game? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, the the term roguelike it comes from an old turn based game called Rogue, which was a game that kind of randomly generated a dungeon, and you would you would kind of step through it, and it would be really hard. You're finding health potions, you're fighting enemies, you're getting loot, but eventually you die, and then you you start. What you do is you start over, and it randomly generates another dungeon, and so on. Um, but the random the randomization. Um, and the part where you die and start over is is like the fundamental uh, concept of what a roguelike game is. Uh, I personally, and I think, uh, and I think you too, Chris. You know, coming from the arcade era of like the '80s and '90s, to me, it's actually very similar to old arcade games where like you would, you know, you'd play them and then you would you would play again, as opposed to the mm-hmm. kind of modern, you know, default format of a game, which is like a campaign, right? You play you know, a, a linear story for 15 hours or 20 hours and you get to the end and then and then you're done. With roguelikes, they're all about replayability. Um, so each time you play, uh, it should feel different. You're getting different weapons, you're encountering different uh, opponents, um, and, and sometimes you find like really kind of busted in a fun way combinations of abilities and so on, and you're, you're kind of on cloud nine, you're doing so well. Uh, other times, you know, the randomness totally messes you up and you have like a like a hilariously terrible playthrough, you know, where everything goes wrong. And part of that variety is what makes this style of game compelling. And what we wanted to kind of add to that mix with Hades is is this idea of like a continuous narrative. So it's not just resetting every time you play. It's actually all moving forward as a story. And the part where it's resetting is justified in the story because the underworld is designed to prevent anyone from escaping. So all the chambers kind of shift around um, every now and then. So that's, you know, that's why it's never kind of the same path through the underworld twice. Um, and these characters that you encounter remember you despite your setbacks. And so adding that sense of continuity, we think makes like an already compelling game format uh, kind of even more so because, you know, not only are you excited just to see what combination of like wild gameplay stuff is going to happen next, but you're you're hopefully kind of enthralled by uh, these stories unfolding of these different characters and you get to kind of help advance these story. You, you know, some characters are, are divided by distance. So you'll get to kind of play messenger between them. Hey, hey th- this guy, y- you know, wait a minute, this, it's all misunderstanding. This person <laughs> said this about you and like, wait, what are you talking about? You have to tell them this and so on. And, and getting to kind of become a part of these characters lives and help them, settle their differences we found like felt really compelling as part of the kind of roguelike structure in general that that sounds great and i like that uh, like you said uh, it, it harkens back to the kind of a the heyday of the arcade uh, the arcades but it, but there's still like progression you're still yeah. the story's evolving and um presumably there's um 
there's some kind of character, I mean, like gameplay progression as well. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There are all these. So the thing, you know, what what folks call like a pure roguelike, like in a quote unquote pure roguelike, there there must not be any progression at all. You must mm -hmm. start, you know, from nothing each time. Um, so some players use the term roguelite, L-I-T-E, uh, to describe games that are kind of influenced by by roguelike games. And that's that's more an accurate description of, of our game because there is absolutely permanent um, advancement. You have a system called the Mirror of Night where you kind of unlock your character's latent talents and kind of become stronger in different ways through that. You unlock a variety of different weapons. There's a really, really cool system in the game that's like one of my favorite systems called the Weapon Aspects, which is that um, the weapons in the game represent these kind of legendary weapons forged by the fates themselves to kind of do whatever the fates are going to do throughout time and history. And you, so, so they belong to the gods uh, before they belong to you. And the idea is they'll belong to others after, after you're, you're done with them. So you get to wield them in the aspects of other bearers of the weapons. Um, so for example, with the, with the blade, the, the kind of sword that you start with, uh, there's an aspect of Poseidon because Poseidon once wielded this blade to like defeat the Titans. But there's also an aspect of Arthur because one day Arthur Pendragon is going to use this weapon, um, mm. you know, to to unite England. So getting to combine, uh, having little nods to other mythologies outside of Greek myth has been super, super fun. And having these almost like, yeah, these references to other kind of famous uh legendary characters whether it's arthur or like other characters from from epic verse uh, as it were um so getting in short uh, what it ends up being is that you have a whole bunch of different weapons with really unique uh fighting styles um and you unlock more and more of those as you go and once you unlock those they're permanently available to you you, you could just go into go into each escape attempt with whichever one you want um and there's still like the, the thing that does get randomized is, you know, the gods that you encounter along the way. You might not, not always encounter Athena or, or Zeus or something like that. On, on one particular escape, you might encounter, you know, Artemis and Poseidon instead. And they each have their different uh, godlike abilities that they're offering to you to try to help you escape. And you get to mix and match those different abilities with your weapon um, and all kinds of other stuff. So it makes for like thousands and thousands of... Uh, different possible ability combinations so that like each time you play it's just you're you're kind of there there's unique aspects of your your fighting style basically every single time you play that's great it's real fun too how um a lot of those of uh, the boons you get are so aligned with like the god themselves like a dionysus you'll make people hung over so they'll take damage yeah. over time and zeus you know adds lightning to your attacks and all those things but it's, yeah, I don't know. It was super exciting just seeing how all the boons interact. And like you were saying about the weapon aspects too, that the way that those like ask you to play a little bit differently when you pick them because they'll have like special abilities is super fun. It yeah. keeps the gameplay, you know, super fresh. Even if it's a little change like that, it can totally make you rethink how you're using an item or a weapon or whatever it is. Yeah, that's that's definitely what we were going for because each each weapon has its kind of default uh, abilities. There's There's a basic attack and each weapon has like a unique special move as well. Um, and depending on the kinds of abilities you get or which aspect you're choosing, it'll kind of naturally give you a little nudge toward like favoring a certain style with it um, over another without like constraining you to that style. It's just kind of like mm. you, with the, you know, with a bow, for example, it has like a powerful, you know, drawback, like single shot attack, almost like a almost like a sniper shot or something like that. And it has a secondary ability, which is a big rapid like spray 
of arrows. Um, and depending on which uh, kind of other god boons you have or or um, or other abilities, like how you how those moves interact or which one of them you emphasize is going to be is going to be really different. Um, and we just you know that that's really at the heart of how the game maintains its variety because the action is very much at the heart of the experience. Like through you know minute to minute, what you're doing is you're battling these these hordes of the dead that serve Hades and are trying to stop you. Um, so we wanted the action to be kind of like really exciting and kinetic. We wanted your character to feel like a god. Uh, you know, he's he's very quick. He's very maneuverable. It's kind of he moves at the speed of your reaction times. But also you get all these different uh, godlike abilities and different combinations. And, and Michael, as you were saying, the the you know the gods are fickle. So sometimes they'll they won't show up for you. Other times they'll kind of bicker <laughs> with each other. Um, and that that was all part of the draw of Greek myth in the first place because their their fickleness is is really key to the to the source material. Like these were not sometimes they're portrayed as these you know benevolent gods like looking over humankind and they do that to a certain extent but uh by and large they're kind of at each other's throats and yeah they're they're not shy about uh wreaking terrible vengeance whenever they're slighted <laughs> for any reason whatsoever uh but we think that's what makes them so compelling um and you know we try to kind of emphasize that aspect in our in our versions of them well greg it sounds like there is going to be a lot in this game for for players to dive into uh when it hits nintendo switch this autumn um, before we go, is there any last thing you'd like to say to people who are looking forward to trying this game on Nintendo Switch? Uh, I, I would just say uh, we really, really hope that you uh, enjoy it and find in Hades the kind of game that you can lose yourself in in a good way. Uh, so despite it being, like I said, it's this kind of grim-looking setting, it's the realm of the dead, uh, not so secretly, it turns out to be kind of a, a more pleasant place than you might expect. It's filled with characters. You know, some characters will definitely stand in your way, but many characters are there uh, to support you and you'll get to develop uh, friendships with them, get to know them really well if you so choose. And um, it hopefully is a world that you feel like it can be very like lived in, in the way that like a great role-playing game uh, can can provide for you. Like you think of your favorite RPGs if you play that genre and, and you get that sense of like, man, you just like being in that world. You like uh, the characters and kind of everything about it. And that's, uh, that's really the the kind of experience we hope you ultimately have uh, with Hades. If you're if you're uh, one last thing, if you're kind of daunted by having heard that uh, roguelike games are you know they're just have super punishing difficulty and like well you're just not going to get anywhere. Uh, Hades has you taken care of in that regard as well. There's a feature called God Mode uh, where you can just turn it on at any time. It makes you tougher, uh, uh, and whenever you die in that mode, you become even tougher than that because given the game's narrative ambition, like we can't have it be the case that, you know, well, this game has an awesome story, but nobody can get past the first boss or whatever. So it's a game that you could play your way. It can be super, super challenging if you want it to be, or it can be a bit more casual um, if if that's your preference. So kind of whatever your speed is, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy being in this world. And we really uh, enjoyed making it. And I hope uh, I hope that shines through when when the game is out there. Well, that's awesome. Greg, thanks so much again for coming on the show, and I am absolutely can't wait to play Hades myself. Thank you. All right, now before we move on from indies, uh, let's talk a little bit more about that Indie World Showcase. Um, now, 
this could basically take up a whole another episode because there was just so much stuff shown here. Uh, I think there were like maybe over 20 games shown in just over 20 minutes. Um, so for now, I just want to focus on the games that we personally can't wait to get our hands on. And Kristen, let's start with you. What were some of the games that really jumped out to you? Uh, there, there's so many great titles um, that were shown today. Uh, but some of the ones that really jumped out to me, I, I loved Raji. Uh, I think that it's such a rich uh, world that they've built. And I, I love the how culturally rich with the Indian culture it is. Um, really pulling on the Hindu and Balinese mythology. I, you know, not being able to travel right now has been really hard. So getting a glimpse into another culture uh, in a game, I think is really exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to play that one. Um, I'm also really excited about Spirit Fair. That's, that's one that I've been looking forward to for, for a long time now. Um, and to be able to, to play that now is it's, it's going to be a, a really great game. I, I love how they've kind of taken a different approach to talking about death and it's this lighthearted, cozy management game um, as opposed to a lot of the dark games that we're seeing um, out, out in the, the world right now. Yeah, it, it just looks so beautifully animated. And it just seems to be, despite the fact that it's dealing with death and you're, you're helping people kind of move on, um, it just seems like the most bright, kind of sunny, good-feeling game, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I'm sure I was, I'm going to experience a range of emotions when I play that one. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll cry at some point in that game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, how many animals can you hug as they pass on to the oh. afterlife before you're in tears? <laughs> But it is the and the art style. I think that that you know that uh, a lot of the different games that we saw have such unique and different art styles. Like uh, Takeshi and Hiroshi is one that really stood out to me um, with kind of the dolls, and then you also have the animation part of it. It's it's and it's such a, a sweet game between you know about two brothers and and the one brother building games for for his younger brother to play, and and it seems like a a title that's very. Um, very sweet, very sweet story. I sort of just enjoyed the uh, idea behind that game too, where you're developing a game for your little brother to play, but you can't make it too easy and you can't make it too hard. So you kind of have to find mm-hmm. the difficulty sweet spot for him. That's such a cute idea. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting point because uh, as someone who has spent hundreds of hours making and playing levels in Super Mario Maker 2, uh, <laughs> I, that's a lesson I think that myself and, and everyone should learn is, is how to strike that proper balance between not too hard and not too easy. And then, uh, Michael, what, what were some of the games that jumped out to you? I mean, I was really interested in uh, Card Shark from what I've seen about that. Uh, that's from uh, the team that did uh, Reigns, Kings, and Queens, uh, which is kind of this like narrative card game almost it's very fun um but this one is i believe you're uh some sort of i guess rapscallion would be the word but you're kind of uh <laughs> existing in high society i guess maybe i'm bad at math but 18th century perhaps maybe it's a little bit before that mm-hmm. but um you're yeah you're basically like a you know like the title says a card shark and you're kind of like learning how to cheat and from what i was seeing like it seems like there's all kinds of things where you're stacking the deck you know you're putting cards up your sleeve you're having somebody pour wine for the other person so that they can like look behind them and take a look at their cards and it seemed really unique and the art style is super cool as well yeah the art style was really unique and interesting and then just the, the whole thing about you're learning basically real kind of card sheets as you're playing the game <laughs> Uh, it just seems like a whole new way to approach that kind of game. So that that was really unique. And then uh, I thought that um, Garden Story looked really interesting. 
Um, again, anything that has kind of a bit of a retro aesthetic to it is going to catch my attention. Um, and that kind of goes for a short hike as well. If I'm remembering correctly, that's the one that almost looked like the graphics almost looked reminiscent of of like 3D polygonal graphics on like a Nintendo yes. DS or a Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, mm. and that that one, it's it's it seems like the type of game where you just sit and you kind of play it and chill out and and meditate almost as as you're you know just it's you're taking a short hike and going around and talking to different characters. Um, it seems like the the perfect little escape. Yeah, and those games are always great, especially on a, on a system that you can take with you, even if I'm just kind of sitting in the corner of, of my bedroom, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, relaxing with a game. It's kind of nice to have it right there and go on little, little jaunts. Get some digital fresh air. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was super excited about the, the two-player update for Untitled Goose Game. Oh, I am too. I, I had played that game a little bit back when it first started blowing up and everyone was talking about it. And then um, for whatever reason, I got distracted probably by a million other games mm-hmm. and just went back to it and finally finished it this weekend. And just had so much fun. Uh, the people I was playing it with, we were just cracking up and um, <laughs> a- about everything you could get into. And as, mu- as fun as it is to play with someone sitting next to you on the couch, I can only imagine that if you're both teaming up against the farmer and you're kind of, you know, uh, incorporating new strategies to get these tasks done where you're, you can both kind of work it from, from opposite ends, there's going to just be so many more possibilities that even than there was in the original game. Yeah, it's definitely when when I first played it, I was playing uh, with my partner and it's it's the type of game where you really want to share the experience with someone else um, and mm-hmm. just laugh about the, you know, the absurd things that the trouble that you're getting into. So to be able to do that and have a second player, I think it's going to it's definitely going I will definitely go back and play that with with a friend. You know, I think if a lot of people are like me, you, you beat the game, but there's still a lot of challenges left that you didn't cross mm-hmm. off. Mm. Um, and so this is a great opportunity, I think, to go back in and play all those additional little uh, challenges uh, this time with with a second player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just feels like one of those games where even if you're not a big like gamer, you know, scare quotes, it's uh, it's for everyone. You know, it's really open. I don't think you have to be super familiar with games to enjoy that game. Like you can just pick up a controller and go. And with two people, it should be a blast. Yeah, there was there was a lot of different, um, right, a lot of variety um, in the indie showcase. Uh, you know, we have the the more casual games, but then we also have some for for more core players like Torchlight Three, which any game that has a pet in it, I get really excited. <laughs> and the fact that you know Nintendo Switch players get to have the the Red Fairy, I think that's really cool that they get a little something special. So. Uh, little something for everybody today. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many more we could touch on. I mean, Hypnospace Outlaw, Baron Breakfast was kind of just bonkers. I just love that title. I was just cracking up. Um, and like you said, just so many different types of games. And and some of the, the games that we got a quick look to that we'd seen before, like Inmost, mm-hmm. uh, which I've been really excited about, kind of a spooky looking side-scrolling puzzle platformer with, again, kind of the retro graphics aesthetic that I like so much. So like you said, there's just so much here, no matter what type of gamer you are. And um, yeah, I believe there's an indie sale that's going on now at Nintendo eShop through August 30th. And uh, like it said in the presentation, um, that sale includes some of these games that were showcased in the Indie World Showcase. So I think uh, you know people can check that out and probably get a, a pretty good deal on a lot of these titles. Cool. Well, let's move on to Player's Pulse. Um, 
this is the section where you know we we always post three polls just for fun, just for giggles on Twitter for Nintendo fans to respond to. And this time we had over 125,000 votes. And the first one was, who would you pick to live with you like a pet? And the choices that we gave were the dog from Duck Hunt, Pikachu, Pikmin, or Yoshi. <laughs> so, Kristen, which one do you think um, was the biggest vote getter? Again, the dog from Duck Hunt, Pikachu, Pikmin, or Yoshi? Yeah, this this one's tough. I I love both Pikachu and Yoshi. Those were my top two when I first uh, saw the question. Uh but I think I would have to go with Pikachu. I feel like out of all of them, Pikachu would be the one that's portable and very useful in different scenarios and just so gosh darn cute. Uh, I think that I'd have to go with Pikachu. Michael, how about you? I mean, full disclosure, I'm on the social media team, so I think I saw the results, but I'll... Uh... Oh, the fix is in. <laughs> the fix is in, unfortunately. Um, for me, though, I don't know. I'm like, I'm kind of like Duck Hunt Dog. I think that... Something about, you know, his sassy nature that just appeals to me, you know? He's not going to do what you tell him to. He's probably going to laugh at you, but, you know, deep down he loves you. <laughs> deep down. Very, very deep down. Uh, I personally would have gone with Pikmin because, uh, you know, if you need help with chores around the house, who better uh, than uh, yes. the Pikmin? <laughs> but the winner, by a long shot, was Pikachu. Uh, 50, almost 54% <laughs> of the vote. But uh, Yoshi came in uh, come in second came in second at 23.4%. So, Kristen, your top two choices were right there. All right, the next question was, given the choice, which approach do you prefer, combat or stealth? This one was incredibly close. Um, Kristen, if you're, if you're given the choice in a game, you can, you can just go in, you know, you know, all out attack, or you can kind of be sneaky. Which I, way do you prefer? I'm always combat. I, <laughs> all mm. the way. I, I, stealth makes me too anxious. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that will just barrel right into the middle of whatever's going on. <laughs> Michael, sneaky or combat? See, I mean, for me, I think I'd like to go stealth. I'm the kind of guy where it's like, I have to do it perfect, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. if I commit to doing it, it's just like, Okay, I'm just going to reset if I mess it up, if somebody sees me. And I don't know. Maybe that's just because, you know, I, I like a bit of punishment in my games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, you know, it depends on the game, obviously. But I, if there's a stealth option, I usually take it. And it's, I've realized it's kind of to my detriment sometimes because I'll spend an hour stealthily sneaking around and, and, and taking out the enemies. Uh, when I could have probably done it in five minutes if I'd just gone in and attacked <laughs> yeah. it head on. But um, but I do love a good stealth game. And uh, it was it was incredibly close uh, with the voting. It was 50.5% uh, in favor of combat with 49.5% choosing stealth. So, wow. That is very so close. Pretty evenly split. All right. The final question was, which Paper Mario partner would you prefer to take pointers from? And the choices were Huey from Paper Mario Color Splash. Um, Kirsty from Paper Mario Sticker Star, Olivia from Paper Mario The Origami King, or Tippy from Super Paper Mario. Michael, which uh, would be your top choice? I think I'm most familiar with Olivia, so I'm going to have to go with Olivia. I think I've really enjoyed her in the game, and you know, she's, uh, what's the word? I'm not going to say incompetent. I think she's good at what she does, but you know, there's a, there's a, a ten, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tenderness, but there's something lovable about her where it's like, yeah, she's helping out. She's doing her best. And yeah, I don't know. I, I like that kind of approach. I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> she, she has a kind of a charming naivete because she mm. was essentially just born a few days ago. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. to be taught by a baby, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, do you have a favorite? Uh, I really like Tippy. 
I have mm. I have fond memories of Tippy when I when I first played that one. So I, I'd have to go with Tippy. And Tippy was the leading vote getter at forty two percent. Tippy from Super Paper Mario. Um, pretty close with Olivia from Paper Mario the Origami King, which got 38.6%. Um, but yeah, that's one of the, the fun things for me about those Paper Mario games is the partner characters and all of the personality that they bring to the game. So I thought that was a fun question. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we are going to move on to Nintendo Power Game Club. Now this is where we talk about a game that we all chose to play beforehand, kind of like a book club. And this time we picked another super giant game, Transistor. And before we dig in and discuss the game, I wanted to share a basic summary of, of what the game is like uh, from the Nintendo website. Transistor is a sci-fi themed action RPG that invites you to wield an extraordinary weapon of unknown origin as you fight through a stunning futuristic city. Transistor seamlessly integrates thoughtful strategic planning into a fast paced action experience, melding responsive gameplay and rich atmospheric storytelling. During the course of the adventure, you will piece together the transistor's memories as you pursue its former owners. And I thought this was a, a good title to choose, not only because we had Greg on, and not only because it's it's a great game with uh, with a pretty uh, uh, core following, but uh, it's only $19.99 in the Nintendo eShop, so it's a great one that anyone can, can check out. Um, now, as you might guess from that blurb, this is a very unique game, and I think it can be kind of tricky to describe, so mm. let's start there. Um, um, Kristen or Michael, how would you describe this game? That is a tough question. I think you're right. It, it is hard to describe. Um, it's got like kind of a, a cyberpunk theme to it, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's a very immersive experience, um, which is something that I think Supergiant does really well. Um, it's building these very beautiful worlds that you you work your way through. Um, and I think that the visuals are very striking. Um, and it's, you're kind of going from level to level and it's a little bit, um, what's the word? Like electronic, everything kind of, you know, kind of seems like it comes from a computer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think everything Kristen said is right on. Um, and I think the gameplay is sort of the hard part for me to describe because it's like partially kind of like a real-time strategy, but then kind of like an action game because... You can just go up mm -hmm. and hit people with your sword, which is what I did because I kind of caveman the first part of the game. But <laughs> once you sort of get a bit more into the systems and you understand like how the weapons work together and you get all these combos where you can set up, you can sort of freeze time and then you kind of have like a limited amount of moves you can make. And it kind of adds that strategic layer to it that makes it pretty fun. I, yeah, I really enjoyed that strategic element to the combat. Um, I remember when I first played it and I, it's it's almost like, okay, you know, when you're playing a hack and slash, you know, it's very fast paced and you're you're just trying to like, you know, almost button mashing to a certain extent. And to mm. be able to pause time and really think about, okay, what how like what moves can I make to best utilize the time that I have to cause the most damage? And the fact that you can see how much damage that you're going to deliver and then you can just change what moves you're going to do so you can really be methodical about how you're going to go about each combat yeah i mean uh it kind of reminds me like when you play a game like maybe devil may cry or like bayonetta you have like all these like crazy weapon loadouts that you can use but you kind of have to remember all of them in real time and you know, now that I'm getting uh, on in years, uh, it becomes hard for me to do some of that. So it was nice having Transistor where it's like you can freeze time, take a minute and be like, oh, yeah, this weapon works well with this one. So I'll, you know, combo them together and all that. 
Yeah, it, it and the the good thing too about when you are when you pause time and you kind of plot out your moves is that when once you finally um, kind of decide what all of your moves can be, you know, to the to the degree that you know you you filled up the the amount of time that that you're given to or the amount of slots, I guess you would say, to execute you know a combo. Um, it, once they those attacks are finally carried out, they're carried out pretty much uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, Kristen, you can just tackle people head on and just kind of attack them in real time. But there's certain cooldown to each of the attacks and, and it, you know, you, you leave yourself a little bit vulnerable. Whereas you can hit people with a combo of a sequence of, of different types of attacks um, if you freeze time and plot them out. And, um, and then you're able to just kind of deliver them one, two, three without the bad guys getting a hit in. Of course, then you have to run away for a while while your attacks yep. kind of charge back up. So it's kind of a, a risk and reward system there. Yeah. And I guess sort of to talk about the story too, it's, uh, you know, the characters are all pretty fun. It's, uh, it's this main character, Red, who's like the singer in the city. And they sort of seem like they're, I guess if I was reading the story correctly from like, you have sort of like stories that are attached to like the transistor, which is like your weapon. Like you sort mm-hmm. of pick up people who have, I guess, sort of died, but you sort of integrate them into your weapon as like a new process, which is like a new ability you can have. But it seemed like it was like they were sort of putting together like this kind of, you know, underground kind of movement. And then there's like this mm-hmm. big, you know, rich uh, group of people, I guess, that live in the high rise. And they kind of have this computer program that goes out of control, I think, and starts taking over the city is sort of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I love how at the start, you don't really know what's going on. And yeah. your exp- as you explore, things become more clear and you kind of learn more about, you know, the world, the, um, you know, the different elements in it. And it's the, the VO and it kind of leads you along. And as you know, as you do pick up these different people and you get different abilities and you're able to go in and actually read their different stories, there's, there's so much to it that, and as you know, I just love the, the slow progression of the story and it builds and builds and builds, um, and you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I definitely cried at the end. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a heart wrenching story. I think Kristen, like you mentioned, it's very cyberpunk, also kind of noir-ish. Mm, I feel with mm-hmm. the, yeah. the music and the art direction, it sets this melancholy kind of downbeat feel with in kind of this you know, n- you know, perpetual nighttime urban sprawl. Uh, you know, and. Um, and it's kind of eerie because the, the, the characters even comment as you're going through the city of the different areas of the city of Cloudbank that um, that it's eerily empty and mm-hmm. it's you know where's where's everybody at? You're going to these 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 clubs and everything where your main character Red you know used to perform as a famous singer before she mysteriously lost her voice and and um, and you're kind of reading these reports at commute, computer terminals about some of the stuff that's going on in the news and. Uh, the whole thing just has this really weird, like something really heavy is going yeah. down. Yeah. And, and so there's that broader kind of storytelling going on for the world of the game. But then also just within that, um, the the kind of more character-driven uh, plot lines around uh, Red, who's very sympathetic as, as a singer who somehow has lost her voice. And then the transistor itself, which is your your kind of sword-type weapon that, um, you know, like, like we mentioned before, has kind of someone's I don't know if you call it their spirit or just their voice kind of trapped within it and, and that that's that kind of sword provides a lot of the main narration as you go from area to area in the city and constantly commenting on what's happening and making you think 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's so funny because you can draw lines between a lot of Super Giants games because in Bastion, it's sort of the same. I think it's the same voice actor even, but he does the narration sort of on top of the game. And then you have Transistor where he's in the weapon and he's sort of a part of the story. And then the other part too is like, as you sort of use the different uh, abilities and everything, you unlock more little bits of story about each of the characters that's attached to it. And then that's just sort of like Hades, where as you play the game and you use these weapons and everything, you start unlocking all these like little chunks of story for each character as you continue on. So it's just super cool the way that they attach like the story to the gameplay in a way that feels like really natural. Yeah. And so something that Greg had mentioned, um, the music being such a big part in their their mm. games and you really feel that in transistor and it, it really sets the mood you know a, as you were saying it is kind of eerie almost that you're you're kind of the only human that you see on the screen and it's like all these different um processes and robots and all these things and it, you know it's like what happened you know it really layers on to that that almost dark and and, and grimy aspect to it yeah, like there's this uh, the button in the game that allows you to just sort of hum along because Red can't sing anymore, but she can sort of do this hum thing. It's just like a really neat little thing to include. You know, it's not really a gameplay thing, but it's just neat being able to sort of, you know, humanize this character that doesn't have a voice anyway, but just by letting you kind of like have the character sing along to like the song that's going around in the background, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her hum is always, again, kind of melancholy. You know, yeah. it's, it, it, you know she's, it's kind of, you know, it, it, her humming can be kind of beautiful, but it also reminds you that she's lost her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the whole thing has this, I don't know, just kind of a really poignant kind of um, feel to it. And, you know, one thing we haven't really talked too much about yet, but is such at the core of this game is exactly how kind of your, your attacks work uh, and that you're, you're, you're kind of, as you go through the game, you're obtaining these new, uh, I believe they're called functions, which are basically attacks or abilities. And, um, and so there's this whole deep kind of part of the game where it's just deciding which of those functions you're going to have in your active available slots, which are each mapped to, you know, A, B, X, or Y on the controller, and then which extra functions that you're not going to have is kind of set as your primaries, but that you're then going to use to kind of enhance Mm -hmm. the abilities of your primaries. So there's a lot of strategy there in terms of how you're going to approach combat, um, you know, uh, exactly which attacks you're going to use, how you're going to combo them. And it just seems like the possibilities there are almost endless. And and for me personally, I'm sure this isn't by any stretch of the imagination like the best strategy, but I found that um, I found that if I if I take uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but if you take the uh, um, the attack that um, kind of shoots, it's kind of a ranged attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's called breach actually. Breach, yeah. 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 If you take breach and then you enhance it with the mask function, um, you know that'll give you like a backslash bonus if you can attack from behind then you use um the jaunt function to kind of like quickly dash Mm -hmm. behind someone so i always feel like when i when i take my turn and i'm setting up you know i freeze time and i'm setting up my combo i always jaunt behind someone and then immediately turn back toward them with breach and keep hitting them with with enhanced back you know backslash damage and that's kind of my strategy the second you get jaunt you're like okay yes now i can you you have more (laughs) uh because the jaunt it's very quick so you're able to move very quickly because even um, when you freeze time, walking takes up some of that, yeah. um, mm-hmm. some of the space that you have to do attacks. And so I think, 
you know, hearing that, oh, you could freeze time and you have, you can like, you know, decide what moves that you want to do. It might make it sound easy, but it, it does get very difficult. Um, you do have to think about what moves that you're going to use. And then also, as you say, what, what moves, like what functions are you going to have in your slots? Because if you don't have a balanced uh, number of functions, then, you know, you need the shorter, the little, the little moves that you can do in, in a short amount of time. And you need like the really, the big ones that are going to deal the most damage and how, how do you combine those together and also position yourself on the board. Um, you don't want to be, you know, doing a bunch of damage, but then all of a sudden you're in a spot where you're going to, you know, you're going to get hurt. You need to get away. So there's, there's so many, so much strategy involved in it, which, you know, as someone who, who loves like board games and stuff like that, that's, you know, super appealing to me to be able to really take my time and, and decide, you know, how I want to approach each specific fight. Yeah. And I think that there's, um, it's really interesting how they kind of manage the health where like, if you take damage to the point where like, you know, you, die or lose a life or whatever it actually just puts one of your functions on cooldown which is really neat because i feel it kind of forces you to try other things that you might not be using because i have a you know tendency of just settling into using the same thing once i found it but um yeah no it's just fun because if you do something where it's like oh i'm just gonna have two super powerful things but then you you know lose a life in battle it's like uh oh there goes half your weapons and now you just have mm -hmm. this one thing and something I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost found that more stressful sometimes than if I had simply just lost a life and had to continue and restart the battle because when you lose uh, that function, um, you have to, you know, you periodically come across access points and that's where you can kind mm -hmm. of, uh, that gives you the opportunity to go into your loadout and, and swap around your functions and things like that, readjust your strategy. And once, um, like you said, Michael, you lose a function temporarily and it goes into cooldown, uh, I believe you have to go to two access points before it's available again. So, um, you know, the, the repercussions of losing one of those functions during a battle, you know, lasts way beyond that one particular battle. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a very interesting kind of approach that I can't really compare it to anything I've seen in any of the games, at least none that come to mind. And, um, and yeah, once my, my life was getting low, that would, I would really try my hardest not to lose that function. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and kick off just our final thoughts here on this game before we move on. For me, I, you know, I really love the mood and the atmosphere. Um, I did find it. There's so much, that, you know, the game is so dense and it kind of in, in, intentionally starts you off a little wrong footed because you're trying to piece together what's what's happened before the game started. So it took me a little while to kind of get going and fully wrap my head around it. But I was never, I wouldn't say that I was ever like lost or necessarily confused. It's just one of those games that uh, you're meant to kind of, you know, discover as you go along. And I did find that part of it really satisfying. I thought the gameplay loop was very smooth. You know, it's, you know, you kind of go into one battle, you come out, you're getting little drops of story. It's one of those games that was kind of hard for me to put down because I always felt like, you know, oh, I can do just one more battle or mm -hmm. just one more battle. I just want to get to the top of this area. Mm. Um, so um, overall for me, it was, I just think, a really unique an interesting experience and it's it's worth checking out um michael what would you say your your final thoughts on transistor are yeah i mean just i've been playing a lot of hades alongside it so it's been really hard for me not to sort of side by side them as i go but no it's really fun i had a lot of the thing i think i enjoyed most was sort of just combining the functions and seeing how they all piece together because i think they did a really nice job with making like almost every loadout viable in a way you know like no matter what you put together there's, you know, once you learn to steer it a little bit, I think you can, you know, make it through the game, you know, pretty 
with you know whatever <laughs> regular amount of effort uh mm -hmm. you need but it just felt that to me was the most interesting part just seeing how everything pieces together and yeah i don't know that was a really bad explanation and i'm tail spinning here <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i think it made perfect sense um kristen how about you yeah for me uh transistor it it's actually one of my, I think, favorite games of all time. Um, and I think something that wow. you said really triggered for me why that is. And it, it, it's such, I think the, the game has such a great balance to it um, with the intriguing storyline, but then, you know, the combat is really engaging and it feels good when you're, when you're going through these fights and there's some challenge to it. And I think that the pacing of the overall game is really good where you're getting some story, you're learning more about the world and then you have the combat. And so it, it's, you know, as you say, you, you don't want to put it down and you really get sucked into this world and into this story. And it's something that, you know, I'm playing it for the second time and I want to, now I want to finish it again because, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just such a great world that they've built and it's such a fun experience overall. Yeah, definitely one that people should, should give a look to. All right, now we're going to move on to the Warp Zone quiz. This is where we, uh, well, I'll give you clues and you'll try to guess which games I'm talking about. These are games that came out 10, 20, and 30 years ago, all during the month of August. You guys ready? Let's do sure. it. Great. All right. So 10 years ago, this is in August of 2010, the clues are Nintendo teamed up with Team Ninja to develop this Wii installment in a fan favorite Nintendo franchise that pit a bounty hunter against a malevolent artificial intelligence and a reptilian creature and used the Wii remote controller to add a new dimension to classic 2D action. Any guesses? Oh, man. I would say this... Uh, this game added a heavier story element to the series' usual side-scrolling action. It is a sci-fi action franchise from Nintendo. And it was on Wii? Yep, it was on Wii. And it was Team Ninja. That's right, Team Ninja working together with Nintendo on the development of this game. Hmm. That might have thrown, maybe you didn't know it was Team Ninja. That might have put a little uh, wrinkle in there. But <laughs> yeah. Go, any last, any last guesses sure. before I build the game? No, I'm drawing a blank. All right. It was Metroid Other M. Oh. Other M. Ah, right. Yeah, I thought it was Metroid, the... but then I was like, all those were on GameCube. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, oh yeah. it was on Wii, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the one that you mostly played uh, with a Wii remote held horizontally, but you could turn at any point and point the remote at the screen, mm. which would automatically put the game into a first-person mode to aim and shoot missiles. So quite a unique entry in that franchise. All right, now we're going 20 years ago. This is in August of 2000. The clues are Nintendo started a famous series on Nintendo 64 that reintroduced Daisy and Birdo and introduced a certain rude purple-capped rascal with a pointy mustache. Any guesses? Uh, I know it this started one. A, oh, yeah? I think, Kristen, unless you got it. No, you. it's like on the tip of my tongue. I have it and I don't, so you go for it. <laughs> is, is it Mario Tennis? That's right, Mario Tennis. Right. This is the first appearance of Waluigi ever. Uh, and also kind of the official start, I believe, of the Mario Tennis series. There was a game called Mario's Tennis for Virtual Boy about five years earlier. But um, uh, I don't know if you consider that part of the same lineage or not. But uh, in any case, a great, great game and a great start to a, a series that I enjoy quite a lot. All right, final, uh, final 
main question, 30 years ago, this is August of 1990, the clues are Nintendo released an updated version of an iconic NES game that became the new standard enduring edition of the game. This version of the game added a new final boss to a colorful cast of opponents like Don Flamenco, Great Tiger, and Bald Bull. Any guesses? Other characters included in this NES game would be King Hippo, Glass Joe, and Mr. Sandman. I think uh, I got it. You got it? All right, it's, let's hear it. Uh, you said this was the one on Nintendo, right? So it wouldn't be yep, on super the Punch Out. Okay, anyway, so yeah, so it would be, I guess just, is it just called Punch Out now? That's it. <laughs> I know it was That's, Mike Tyson's punch, punch Out. out. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was a difference, but yeah. yeah. That's right. That, that was the tricky part of this question. This was the updated version of the game. Mike Tyson's Punch Out originally released in 1987. Ah. And... And this version, Punch Out, um, swapped in Mike Tyson for Mr. Dream and, and came out uh, there it is. again yeah. in 1990. Yeah, bit of a curveball there. <laughs> All right, now I have, uh, those were the main questions, but I do have final, uh, one final bonus audio-only question. I'm going to play a sound effect from a past first-party Nintendo game. And let's see if you guys can guess what the sound effect is or where it came from. Damn it, damn it, damn it. I'm going to play that <laughs> one more time. Damn it, damn it, damn it. <laughs> oh, Any <man>. guesses? <laughs> Ooh, I am not sure. It sounds, it sounds familiar. Like I feel like I should know this, but I, uh. I, I think it's Fox McCloud. I know it's one of the Star Fox guys. <laughs> it is. It's it's from the original Star Fox on Super NES, and uh, that's basically how the Star Fox team sounds when they talk to each other. <laughs> I think the only Oldie. reason I know that is because me and my little brother used to make those exact noises at one another every now and then <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Yeah, just developed yeah. your own language. Yeah, da -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba. yeah, so like that. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks so much, you guys, for playing along. And now we're going to close out the show with Game Forecast. This is where we take a look at some of the Nintendo Switch games that just released or are coming soon. And ooh, it's a pretty um, meaty list this time. Um, skipping back just a little bit, on uh, August 18th, we had a short hike. This is from Adam Robinson U and Whippoorwill uh, Limited. Evergate from Stone Lantern Games and P-Cube Limited. Manifold Garden from William Cher Studio. Raji and Ancient Epic from Nodding Heads Games. Spiritfarer from Thunder Lotus and uh, Takeshi and Hiroshi from Oink Games. Then on August 20th, we've got Gleamlight from Daiko and D3 Publisher. August 21st, we have Inmost from Hidden Layer Games and Chucklefish and PGA Tour 2K21 from 2K Games. On August 27th, we have Best Friend Forever from Star Cult and Alliance, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition from Square Enix, Hyperspace Outlaw from No More Robots, and Struggling from Chasing Rats Games and Frontier. Then on August 28th, we have Windbound from Five Live Studios and Coach Media. And on September 4th, NBA 2K21 from 2K Games. Um, September the 18th, WWE 2K Battlegrounds from Take Two. September 23rd, Unrailed from Indoor Astronaut and Daedalic Entertainment. And on September 24th, Going Under from Agro Crab and Team 17 Digital Limited. And let me just first say that uh, I apologize if I mangled any development or publisher names here. Indie names can be weird. <laughs> that they can. <laughs> Um, so, Chris and Michael, anything here? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but is there any one or two specifically that you're personally looking forward to? 
Um, I think that out of those, Spirit Fair, which I mentioned before, that's one that I've been mm-hmm. looking forward to for a while. I'm also really excited to play Manifold Garden. I, I love puzzle games, and it's, it's such a unique-looking puzzle game, so I'm really excited about that one. Yep. Michael? Uh, yeah, I think for me, I mean, obviously, I can't wait to port my Hades save over to Switch, which will be great. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was sort of interested in the unusual nature of like uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, which is sort of this like 90s retro internet experience kind of game. Seems really unusual. And also struggling looks really strange. So I'm kind of excited to check that one out as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you'll have a little bit of a wait for that Hades uh, su- uh, cross save uh, support since oh, um, right, right. the game's Autumn. Yeah, Autumn. But but yeah, in the meantime, there's just so much cool stuff. I mentioned this before, but Inmost, you know, is kind of a spooky side-scrolling puzzle platformer with moody kind of Super NES graphics. I'm really looking forward to that. And um, and plenty of other things. I mentioned Spirit Spiritfarer before as well. Um, mostly I just want to dip in and, and try a lot of these and see what other people are saying, um, especially about all this great indie content. So that's it. Kristen and Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a blast talking about uh, Hades and all of the indie games and everything else with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Great. See you next time. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave us a review, and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power.